Jess. I have a million questions. Why did you play that song? Oh my goodness, it's such a great way to start the conversation. Do you have any guess why I played that song? I, 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 I will give you I will give you any well no, I better be careful. Any idea why I played that song? Um you could not possibly know that I got my Spotify wrapped this week, like everybody did. If you're a Spotify user, you get your wrapped for the year. And that was my number one played song of 2022. Oh, you're kidding. You could not know that. So I'm out no, of I guessing. Could, <laughs> I could not, not know that. Like I actually played it for kind of a weird reason. Um, it was actually a hopeful reason. I, I <laughs> and it's really goofy. Um, my dog's lost. What? My 12-year-old dog is missing, and uh, that title of that album was Lost Dogs. Uh, what? So I actually pulled oh. up a, I actually pulled up Lost Dogs on Spotify, and that was the one of the first things that popped up. Well, so I was I'm hoping right. that my uh, Abby, who's 12, um, who disappeared this morning, uh, would get her back. So... Um, yeah. I literally want to hang up right now and go walk the neighborhood and look for Abby. I know. It's crazy. Oh. It's crazy. So um, anyway, that's why I played that song. I didn't know it was yours. It's kind of interesting. That it was your top song on Spotify. You know why it was the top song? That's the song that was playing when I got in my car, when I was T-boned by a car on the way to the gym. That was the song that was playing. And apparently I binged that song <laughs> after the car accident because it was, I don't know. What a weird. Wow. Serendipity, huh? That's, this is, there was a whole lot of serendipity happening right now. I'm going to need to process this. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, happy Friday. Happy. Yes. Happy Friday. It's December, December 2nd. Ooh, uh, yes, Bryce, thanks for your uh, report out. Um, episode number 134, which is awesome. So um, thanks to you all for being here. Uh, wow. I see. Hey, Janice. Um, hi, Leah. Heidi, Susan, Maureen, Casey, thank you for asking how everyone's feeling. Uh, I see we're up to 2,738 people, no pressure. Uh, so let's go ahead and get going. Um, let's start with, uh, well, let's wait till a few more people join because it's always the top of the hour. Uh, Janice, what about my hair color? If you're gonna dig Jess's hair color, you need to talk about my hair color too. Um, oh, Andy. Uh, thanks, Andy. Um, so the, the there is kind of a little search party uh, for Abby at the moment, so I'm not sure I could do much. Um, so um, how's your week, Jess? <laughs> I can't believe it's Friday. Have you, I yeah. mean, it's one of those weeks where every single day, I think it's two days earlier than it is. Like, it, this should be Wednesday, but it's not. <laughs> uh yeah. it's a good it, december Friday. is a weird month like one thing that, one thing you want to talk about this week that was impactful and i'm gonna ask everyone on the line here to talk about one thing cheryl don't start yet um, <laughs> I'm, everyone to uh talk think about one thing that was really impactful that you're really proud of that you accomplished this week uh last night we had our quarterly board meeting for diverse daisies 
And I am really proud, which you're a board member of, Jason, and I'm thankful for that. We have an incredible board. We have great volunteer. I'm really proud of the momentum of Diverse Daisies. It had to kind of come back to life post-pandemic, you know, because we, we do activities, physical activities, getting girls together. Uh, and, oh, yes, Josh's most impactful thing was a Minnesota dinner at my house this week. Uh, but anyway, I'm just super proud when I get to dive back into that, you know, that doing anytime you do volunteer work and like your heart work, your passion work, you feel like you wish you could do more of it. Um, I'm just super proud of, of the stuff we have going, serving girls. Yeah, I mean, on some social media channel, Josh Rock, I saw something of Jess with cans of soup um, in the <laughs> kitchen. No idea where that came from, but uh, that dinner was public on social media somehow. So uh, that's unfortunate. I didn't. I don't think I approved that. I made tater tot hot dish. That's the cans of soup. And if you haven't had tater tot hot dish, if you haven't had my tater tot hot dish, you haven't lived. I'm happy to cook for any of you. <laughs> Once again, probably people don't even know what a hot dish is, and you know, for those Canadians, it's like poutine kind of, so right. lots, to, lots to dive into, but we're going to skip that. A couple um, of congratulations, Jason, before we miss them. Congrats to Leah and her new role here at Leap Gen. And Ron, yes. congratulations. Congratulations on your granddaughter's second birthday. That makes me want to squeeze a little baby. <laughs> uh, and Leo happily quiet quitted. Ooh. Uh, uh, which uh, one we need to hear more about probably as well yeah. um yeah so I, I i'm glad some of you put in your what your things were i didn't actually think everyone was gonna and you're happy happy uh second birthday to your granddaughter as yes. well um, that's awesome um wow i was in chicago for a couple of days this week working with clients and and had some um wow i'd say the probably the most impactful thing was trying to help an organization realize that adoption of technology doesn't change an organization. Hmm. Uh, that culture, what an organization does every day, not just at a moment's notice, but every single day is what makes up an organization and makes up the relationship and the employee relationship between employer and employee. Um, that was a really, really impactful day because you know everyone thinks that they can transform an organization or transform anything by just putting some technology in. Um, and what ends up happening is uh, is that you know they don't get the uh, they don't get the same thing out of it that they're trying to get out of it. So sorry, I was just checking for dog updates. Apologies oh. for that. Um, but uh, so here's so, the perfect analogy as you glanced at your phone. That's like saying putting an Apple Watch on is going to make you healthier. You don't it change is. your health habits because of a yeah. piece of technology you chose to wear. It's a the same analogy for organizations. Yeah, you're exactly right. And then um, you know the other thing that I had a really interesting opportunity, and I, I um, for those of you that didn't see, I was quoted in a Business Insider piece yesterday on the CNN layoffs. Um, and one of the the it was really an interesting. Um, I'm sure we can put a link to the article in there, but um, the one of the things that was really interesting about this this art this conversation, and, and it made me really really think a lot was, should you give employees advance notice of layoffs? That's a reporter's question, and 
<laughs> you answered the question. Yes. Right. Um, you know, uh, thanks, Leah, for adding that. I was just I just did it, too. So now we've got two of them. Um, but, you know, it really made me think. And it's always fascinating, by the way, when you talk to a reporter, what actually gets in the article versus what doesn't. Um, but it made me think that if an organization is transparent and open with their employees all year long, like every day in everything that they do, and they're giving them guidance along the way as to how things are going, you know, then having an open conversation about layoffs is just considered part of that ongoing relationship or that pact between employee and employer. Um, you know, if I go all year and don't talk to anyone or mm -hmm. never, ever, ever talk about anything open and honest with my employees, and all of a sudden I say, hey, guess what? We're going to announce layoffs in two days. You know, the way that an employee is going to respond is going to be completely different than if there's already a trust factor built between that employee and that employer. So um, it's I love talking to reporters. Um, it's always fascinating when that happens um, because you learn a lot. And, um, you know, I, if anyone gets a chance, love your thoughts on this topic as well. It's a great, great question. Jess, I saw you put, uh, yes, you should give people advance notice um, in there. Um, well, yeah, Leo, that's that's my thought as well, what you just wrote into the comment chat, Leo. But at the same time, not every company is built the same. Uh, and, you know, the cultures aren't the same. And shame on organizations for not having open cultures and, and transparency year round so that they can have a conversation like this with employees if and when it's needed. And the other, I actually can't wait to hear what Brian has to say about this, if he has an opinion. The other reason to do this, it's very practical, by the way, is if you admit the fact in a very transparent, empathetic way that we got fat and we need to trim by 10% for the following business reasons, you might have quiet quitters like Leo or early retirees or people who are already planning a shift or a change. You can do this in a respectful way and say, so if any of you want two months of severance, by the way, take it. Or, you know, and, oh, and or these are the criteria we'll use to get the organization in a healthy place. I don't know why we keep so many things mysterious and under wraps and that is a fear culture. I understand the opposite argument that you just start, you know, people start spiraling in fear and worry and wonder and whatever. But honestly, that kind of dignity and respect of communication and transparency should help to dispel some of that, that fear too. run a business like a leader, which includes we have a business decision to make. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and Bryce, I totally get your comment too about market impact, like stock price, and there are things you have to be sensitive to. So I totally get that as well. So I don't mean make it public if it can't be yeah. I mean, within reason is is, is yeah. important for us. And thank you for uh, for adding that that color to that. Um, hey, I, we're rambling, so I need to move on because yeah. uh, we have an amazing guest. Uh, but I have to start with, you know, this question we ask every time. Yes, I would say it's the most important question. It's how are you? Uh, green, yellow, red, green, feeling great today. A great week, ready for the weekend. Um, yellow, so so um, red, uh, not so good for whatever reason. And uh, once again, please take this question and use it with your family. Um, I do all the time. Um, I try to do it all the time, I should say not always as great as I should be. Um, 
I love the fact you've got some greens. I was really green until my freaking dog disappeared uh, today. Now I'm kind of uh, yellowish red, but um, hopefully dogs come back. Um, never had a dog leave like this, so it's mm -hmm. a kind of a weird, uh, a weird feeling. Um, but otherwise, great, great week, and um, just blessed to work with uh, people like Leah and Jess and Alicia and Leah and. Or did I say Leah twice? Sorry. Some of the people I see on the Brad, some of the people I see on the line from uh from Leap Gen that are so nice to be able to uh oh, I love sparkly green too. Uh, greens. Yeah, lots of greens, which is good. Uh Tilly, let's finish. Let's do it. If you need help over the weekend, let me know. Um soul and spirits green, physical body is red. Um mm. Janice agreed until she had to take her dog to the vet this morning for not eating for two days. Um, I've got some dog issues today. Chuck Green also. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for sharing that. Um, anything that anyone can do or if you need any, if you need to talk, please reach out to anyone in this community. Put LinkedIn um, comments here and or your LinkedIn address here and then um, be sure to talk to uh, be sure to talk to people. Um, I am going to bring on our guests and Jess, maybe you can do an intro to the guests. I don't even have walk-up music for our guest today. But I'm not <laughs> going to play that song again now that I... Well, I, I know. I literally forget you were playing that song. Um, yeah. Uh, let me okay. introduce Brian, get Brian in, and then we'll go ahead and get started. How to introduce Brian. There's a little bit of a story here. I used to work with Sal Vergara at uh, Jobs to Web in the recruitment automation space. And Sal and I decided to collaborate on something a while back. Our client, London Byerly's, was gracious enough to be a host for this event. We brought together a really tight little round table of leaders locally here in Minneapolis who wanted to talk about talent strategy and workforce planning. Speaking of, you know, this business insider piece. Hi, Brian. Uh, it was sort of like, how do we, how do organizations possibly, you know, firefight day to day, do all the stuff they need to do day to day and create any kind of long-term vision and, and strategy around what to do with people, their number one asset. How, like, how do we treat people as a supply chain, not in an inhumane way, but, you know, maybe in a more data-driven <laughs> insights uh, sort of way. And Brian, thank you. That was such a fantastic event. Thanks great conversation we had in the room. I couldn't possibly contain it to the room. I had to give you a bigger audience because I think this is the topic, honestly, that people are grappling with heading into 2023. So thanks for joining us. Hello. Absolutely. Yeah. Jason, I hope they, that your dog comes back. Yeah. Shortly yeah. after you said that, my two dogs came in. I think they heard you and were concerned. Oh. As well. <laughs> Yeah, they're all. I think once we're as soon as we're done with our conversation, which we could go all day though, but I, uh, I think I'm gonna go hunting for dog, yeah. hunting for my dog, and see if I can uh, see if yeah. I can find. Them. Um, but anyway, great to have you, um, Ryan. Maybe you can talk a little Thank about you. yourself and uh, how you got into this weird world um, that <laughs> of work <laughs> that we're in today. Sure. Yeah. So. Um, it's interesting, you know, I really started my career more in, um, well, I originally started in public safety, but I, I um, moved more into 
the strategy and operations consulting um, with one of the big firms. And at one point I got a call and, and they said, hey, we're starting up a human resources transformation and outsourcing line and we want you to help lead it up. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're looking for somebody else because I don't know anything about HR. The, um, and, uh, but they really wanted someone at that time who was more grounded in the strategy world and, you know, um, 26 years later, that's kind of been my thing is really that that connection between strategy and operations. So naturally, when you think about workforce planning and, and some of those pieces, it's a very natural bridge between the two. Um, so, you know, since then, I've really been, um, whether it's internal or whether it's consulting, uh, focusing on that intersection between strategy and people, um, you know, some entrepreneurship and along those lines. And um, now I lead the consulting practice for HRQ and, uh, you know, doing great work really um, all around the country with clients who want to do things differently and want to think about the the human side of things differently um, and look at the new economy, new reality, new world that we're in and, and do things a little bit differently. So that's, that's what I do these days. That's fantastic. And I, I'm honestly like, you know, it's a good presentation. I'm sure you experience this all the time, Brian, when you know you're hitting a nerve when people are screenshotting everything you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> oh my God, why can't I do that better? I mean, this whole like ebbing and flowing, this flexing of talent, it's, it's a real issue for lots of reasons coming out of the pandemic, the economy, doing what it's doing. Obviously that has regional, you know, differences as well. You know, there's a surplus of talent. There's no talent. What we call talent versus seeing people for skills and how they could be matched in the organization. Like, it's just broken. It's just plain broken. And now these businesses are trying to figure out, and they're taking huge brand hits when they screw it up, by the way. So mm -hmm. this has yeah. real impact today, but also, like, don't do something that's going to hurt you for years to come. What, what, just give us kind of your, your take on, on, the brokenness or maybe what the solution might be. <laughs> well, I think, I think we're still fundamentally asking the wrong questions in most organizations. Um, we, we tend to really look at things like we tend to focus on budget and headcount and, you know, things like that. And, and we start to say things like, well, you know, how many employees do I need to do this? Or how many salespeople do I need to add? And we're not really stepping back and asking a different question, which is, what's the best way to get done what we need to get done um and, and you have to sort of break yourself out of the mold of we you know an, an, a full-time employee is our default answer to how work gets done um it, it's so limiting in, in just the construct right and and that's when we get into all these discussions about um you know headcount and, and all those pieces i'm not in any way, shape, or form, ignoring the financial realities of organizations. But what I am saying is, is that we're living in a world where there's so many converging factors on the supply side, worker preferences and what they want out of work, what they want out of that environment. Um, and that's anything from the physical environment and remote work to rewards and things like that, to the reality on the other side for businesses in terms of how fast things are changing, how fast their requirements are changing, how flexible they need to be in terms of capacity, skills, all of those different things that I think we have to, to fundamentally step back and ask that different question about what's the best way to get things done. And we have to reorient our systems in order to be able to deliver on that. Um, there's a lot to that, obviously. Um, many of our HR organizations aren't really set up that way. Um, and, you know, we're still in this place where we have a hard time um, 
having the right dialogues with our employees. And, and, and it's interesting the question you asked earlier about layoffs and talking to employees. I can give you a good story from my corporate life about that. But, um, you know, it's it's we're really still kind of thinking in an old school, more hierarchical, not really thinking about the talent market and the organization reality as it is today. Mm -hmm. I love that question, thinking about how work gets done because it's not just the next full, you know, FTE hire, and then how do we evaluate talent differently? How do we create some agility, you know, along those lines, but also consider automation and everything we're trying right. to digitize and some roles that should probably be permanently retired or partially, like there's all, there's several factors at play that really do change the answer of how work gets done. And so this really, I mean, it really needs to be a Kind of a cultural shift, a mindset shift to say we're going to reevaluate not just jobs, but the better question you just gave us, which is how does work get done in our organization? Right. Yeah, and if you think about the if if I essentially make the whole world my labor pool, right? And that labor pool, I may need that labor for 10 hours, right? Or I may need them for 10 years. Or but if I start to think about what kinds of possibilities that opens up. You know, it's 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 pretty transformational. I, I work with a couple of different clients who, over the years, have moved to it, half or more of their workforce is contingent, right? It's it's mm -hmm. not full-time employees. It's some you know mix of contractors and outsourced relationships and all those other kinds of things. And when I see how nimble those organizations are, not just when they have to you know look at cost cutting or things like that, but when they have to do something new, when they have to move into a new area, they just have a lot more flexibility and capability. But those organizations are managed so differently than your traditional organization. You know, the capabilities that they have, the way they look at metrics, all of those things are different. And it's it's really powerful when you get to that point. Mm -hmm. what, what in the world where we are today, Brian, and the changing world of work, which I just think is fascinating. Um, you know, one of the themes for 2023 for us is all about I know it should have been agile all along, but it's how do we be more <laughs> agile even? Because it seems right. like every single day there's something new. I mean, right. crazy world we live in today. Um, like, what do you see as organizations' ability to be ready for that? Because what I, you know, I still see that these things happen every day, but by the time that organizations ready a response, like we're already on to the next thing, if that makes any sense. Like, and, right. and we're not we're not built in an agile way, which you know we like to call digital, which isn't technology, but just the world we live in today, which changes every right. day. I'd love to hear what you're seeing, and if you agree with that, or you think people are getting better. Well, I see pockets certainly where people are getting better, but I mean, all you have to do is really look at how we live our lives from a technology and how we get things done versus how we do things in most workplaces to see the disconnect, right? You know, I when I think about how we use corporate systems, how we make decisions and collaborate versus what we do in the rest of our lives, you know, in terms of um, how agile that is and how fluid our ability to connect with people, our ability to collaborate with people and, and how we get simple transactions day to day done versus how we do on the corporate side. There's just a vast gap. And, and even that is a big indicator of how the agility message has been out there for a long time, but we're, we haven't adapted in most organizations. And I think in a lot of ways, it really starts with 
uh, what we what we tend to call like sensing and sense making and those kinds of things. Are you even aware of what's going on around you? Most organizations, in our experience, run so far over their capacity that they don't even have time to pay attention to the market in a meaningful way, and so they miss what's happening. And so then, by the time they're forced to react, it's too late in a lot of ways, you know. And by the time they start to create a, a, a reaction, the next crisis is hit, or the next opportunity is on, or or whatever it is. And so organizations really need to get to a place where they can be agile all the time. And some of that is building capacity for yourself to be agile, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we've spent the last 20 years creating, producing managers and doing more with less and a lot of those kinds of things. And, and we've sort of crippled our ability in a lot of organizations to actually be agile because of those things. Um, and I think the pandemic just punctuated a lot of that. You know, we, we just saw that organization organizations were neither agile nor resilient. And <laughs> you really need to be both in, in the world that we're in today. So let's uh, let's play out the analogy I used earlier. By the way, I'm not sure. Is it me? There's a little audio fuzz. Do we know where that's coming from? Can you guys I'll notice? Wa- it's like some water running. Okay. Now I'm going to look and see if I have any other tab open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have some uh, oh! some back. Oh, I thought it was gone for a second. I don't know what that is. Sorry if it's. Um, if we all can hear it, maybe we can. That's all good. It maybe it's meant to be. It's meant to be soothing. Chuck, I can already tell. Chuck and Janice, <laughs> it's like white noise. Water running. Okay, so let's play out the. Well, everybody says this is running water. <laughs> uh, let's play out the health analogy. The, that whole ability, you know, creating capacity and becoming more agile. What about redundancies? Do people need to, so if I were going to the doctor, doctor, I need a health check, I need, I want to become healthier, wouldn't we sort of evaluate where I'm at right now? Let's put the Apple Watch on and let's get some data. How do organizations st- start? Do they, re- is there a sort of a self-analysis they need to do to figure out where we're at, where we've got redundancies, where we're bloated, where, you know, do how many job profiles do we have? Good Lord, what are we automating? Like, what's kind of the starting point, the, the self-assessment that needs to happen? Sure. Well, I think there's a couple of things that are, are corporate level, so to speak, that you need to start with. So one is, is you know, how often are you in that crisis mode? Um, and if you look back over your recent history, how many things did you get surprised by? How many things did you, you know, how it turned into some kind of crisis that you that you had to address? That's a really simple gut check, you know, to just look at and say, are, are we doing the right things to be agile, to be resilient? But if you dive down to another level, the first thing you have to really start with is your decision-making processes and how agile are those processes? Mm-hmm. Can you make decisions in uncertainty? How long does it take you to make a decision, um, you know, can you make the right decision when you don't have all the information that you'd like to have? Because that's the root of a lot in a lot of organizations of a lack of agility is that inability to make decisions effectively. Mm-hmm. The reasons why may be many. We, we can't process information fast enough. We can't, you know, we don't collaborate well. We don't talk well. You know, we've got too big like programs and matrix, whatever it is, right? But looking at those decision-making points is a really important indicator of where you are from an agility perspective. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing that you have to look at is, is how far down in the organization can people make good decisions? Um, that may sound a little bit pejorative, but it's not meant to be. What I really mean is, is 
do we give people as close to the customer as possible the information they need and the tools they need to make good decisions? I don't, I don't believe that people make bad decisions on purpose. It's because of a lack of information or, or those kinds of things. So, you know, simple, I always talk about there's a communication breakpoint in every organization almost. And that is where people stop talking enough about the strategy, the context, the mission, what we're really trying to do. And so at that breakpoint, decision-making starts to get bad, right? And so if I can't align people all the way to the front lines about why we're here, what makes us successful, what we're trying to do for customers, guess what? People aren't going to make the right decisions on the front lines. And that leakage has a huge impact on organizations. So where that comes in from an agility perspective is, is if I've really got people aligned up and down the organization about what, what are our critical success factors, what are we trying to achieve, they're going to be able to make decisions more quickly and better um, on those front lines. Technology can be an enabler of that, but technology in and of itself isn't enough, right? It's it's yeah. one of those things where, you know, it can help speed information, improve collaboration, but if the information isn't there, if the strategy isn't clear, if, if the right metrics aren't in place, then it's going to be hard to really leverage that technology to do that. Um, so at the top level, those are a couple of things that you're, you know, that you're going to look at, but when you start to get down to the brass tacks of the agility, you start to look at things like process efficiency, your staffing levels, and where are they against, you know, what it takes to, to, to be successful, et cetera. Some of that you can do some industry benchmarks, but a lot of it really depends on your own processes and your own ways of working in terms of being able to, to, to say, are you in the right place? Redundancy in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing because if you're talking about a critical capability in your organization, you want some level of redundancy, right? If you've got the one person that walks out the door and you're, you know, dead in the water for six months because you can't replace that, that's not a good thing either. And that gets more to the resilient side of the equation. Um, but, you know, those are some of the really key things that you've got to look at. There's a lot of enabling systems that go beyond that. How do you learn? How do you share knowledge? How do you do all those kinds of things within an organization? But at the top level, those are some of the things that can sometimes be hard to judge for yourself, but they're really important to sort of self-assess. We have a really good question, Siobhan. Thank you for asking it. Okay, Brian, I'm gonna I'm gonna spoon feed this to you. Uh, I happen to know Siobhan <laughs> is in HR. She is a business partner. She's working on the front lines in the okay. orgs I work with. Uh, people are hungry. This is so true. People are hungry for clarity on career paths. They want a clear rubric for what a coordinator, manager, director, you know, that progression, what it is and what it takes to move up the ladder. It feels hard to provide that level of clarity given uncertainty around growth and turnover. What advice do you have for how to talk about career growth and what support and systems can bring the right level of clarity in an uncertain world? Oh, yes. Talent doesn't yeah. like murkiness around their ability <laughs> to move and advance. Yeah. Um, this is really only about a four and a half hour answer, but I'll try to condense it as quick as possible. So what I would say is, is that career development career paths has literally been the number one most requested service in our consulting practice for a year and a half. Um, so wow. I would absolutely echo what you're saying in terms of people want that there. This is what I'm seeing in, in terms of what's working. Um, it's really important to be able to show success stories around opportunities in the organization. Most of, frankly, the best opportunities in organizations are non-traditional paths, right? I, I, I have a, a client, for example, where 
I literally met someone about five years ago and they were an intern and now they're a department director, very influential in the organization and those kinds of things. You could not have, have drawn out their career path. It's just the way that they went and the opportunities that they got involved in, you couldn't draw that out. But in that organization, it's not atypical from a career path perspective. So in an organization like that, if you want that certainty of it's, you know, you go from this level to this level to this level, you're not actually going to get the best opportunities. So the first thing you have to do is you have to really understand in your organization how does opportunity happen. And you have to clearly communicate, this is the reality of opportunity. Um, but the second thing that I would say is, is that there has to be a lot of honesty in your communications about career paths, et cetera. So I've seen a lot of organizations create very elegant career ladders. And you know it's, it's crystal clear how you move from one level to the other except for the fact that these positions only open every five years, six years, those kinds of things. And so does that really do you any good <laughs> in terms of that piece? So the other piece is, is really having an honesty about what the reality of career opportunities are and defining career opportunities as more than just I move from job A to job B. Um, and you know, really looking in an organization and saying, career movement for us is defined this way. And the unspoken question behind that is, and rewards follow in this way, right? And so it's really important to be able to have both sides of that conversation. But the third thing, which I, I will say is absolutely critical in terms of success of these things, the companies that have done this well have used a career framework as an opportunity to redefine the value proposition between the company and the employee, right? And they've really used it as an opportunity to say, here's what we want from you, here's what we expect from you, and here's what we're giving you in return. Career development, career growth is part of that equation, but really using that as an opportunity to position the brand and talk about what we're about and what it means to work here and what the value proposition is, is also a really important piece of creating these career frameworks. Um, I, I think the other piece, just to, to tag on, is um, it, having agility in career paths and helping people understand how they can move not up and down only but across and, and really move across different parts of the organization repeatable skills transferable skills you know things of that nature and what that looks like um i think the other thing that is really important i was just talking to a large client about this yesterday is you can actually create very elegant career frameworks that don't work because managers don't change their minds. Yeah. And what do I mean by that? You know, if I'm used to looking at a very specific profile from a promotion perspective, then I, I you can give people all the development you want when they, their resume comes across my desk and they say, yes. well, these, they don't have these things, right, <laughs> that, that I'm used to seeing. And so there's a lot of work that really has to go into that decision-making around career pathing in order for these career frameworks to work. And, you know, the company that I was just talking to put tons of money behind, you know, really doing this right, but they didn't change the mindset of the managers, and so it was fair. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, Brian, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean that mindset needs to be set at, you know, by a CEO, a CXO, or or, or one of the functional HR leads, especially recruiting, um, because one of the things I think that's really fascinating is that so many people just follow that traditional path of, hey, we need a person. What do we do? Open a rack. Mm -hmm. We need to open a rack. And there is no mandate. And I think there needs to be a mandate from a C, the C-suite that actually says, we're going to look internal 
before we look external. You know, now if we look internal and don't find anything, fine. But that's the only way movement happens mm-hmm. within yeah. organizations. Yeah, I think did you're I spot on, Jason. Guardian slip, yes? No, Elise did. Oh, sorry. I was like, this I type managers don't train their minds. She meant change, oh. but they also don't train their minds yeah, to think exactly. differently. Sorry, I've got but I think my dog on my brain. I said something wrong. Sorry. No. No, I think you're accurate on that. But I, I think the way that I've been able to get people to start to shift that mindset a little bit is you have to start taking into account the risk that comes with bringing people from the outside and what yeah. you buy by being able to look at someone who's been successful in your organization, your culture, your way of working. And, and if you really empirically weigh that, you make a lot of different decisions about you know who you're gonna hire, who you're gonna promote and those things. So I, I think that the mandate has to be there. The modeling has to be there, quite honestly. You know, if, if the CEO says do this, but then every time there's, you know, an opening, they go out to a search firm and bring somebody from the outside, that doesn't help as much, you know. And so we, we really have to start thinking about potential differently and the risk associated with someone who hasn't performed in our environment to get to some of those things that we're talking about. But, but I definitely and, think you're spot on. And even time to value. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah, right. I don't right. get too much into this and, you know, at the end of January, we're doing a session, Jess, as you know, on this yeah. topic, Zero Wasted Potential, um, which mm-hmm. I love, you know, um, sponsored by our friends at Rejig. But that concept of zero wasted potential is so important. And if you look mm-hmm. at inside organizations, how much, how much wasted potential there is, it's crazy. I mean, it's truly, truly crazy in my mind. And just because, you know, we're not, not each of us is RFID chip to be able to say <laughs> how do we take best advantage of ourselves and who we are at any given day. And you know, we have to get we have to get better at that. Especially when you look at I mean, if anyone saw the jobs report this morning, you know, the labor market the labor market, excuse me, is continuing to tighten. Um, so you know, this is just becoming a bigger, bigger issue going forward. You bring up a good point because if you think about, you know, time to value what takes people time is usually not learning how to do whatever their function is. It's learning how to operate within the organization, within the organization. building the relationships with people, you know, all of those different kinds of things. So it's a really good way to think about it. Uh, I said this in a public forum, I think on a conference stage not too long ago, and I got a little bit of a reaction, but I stand by it. If CHROs were judged on the use and effectiveness of the resources they manage if they were judged to the same harsh criteria as a cfo most chros should be fired the waste is unfortunately that's right yeah um and and i've i I feel like and this may be provocative but i feel like hr is on its heels in a lot of ways right now um i I don't a lot of the ceos that i talked to have not been thrilled about the way that they've managed the pandemic, have not been thrilled with the way that they've managed talent shortages, and they're just not feeling like the HR organizations are doing what they need them to do. And so I do feel like, you know, there's there's a lot of HR leadership that's on its heels, and we haven't um, seen the kind of things that we need to see. Um, not like we haven't been talking about them forever, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think most HR organizations are at that place. We can get there. 
2023 is the yeah. year. The other thing, I say this all the time. You, I don't know why we have task forces and separate titles and budgets and whatever, and then we hand them when when business gets tight. This, Your DEI strategies, by the way, are your talent strategies. What, everything you two have just described is part of a DEI framework. This kind of transparency and communication, you know, literally making clear what career framework looks like at the organization, what opportunity looks like, how we evaluate talent. These are inclusive tactics that like, it's just the dignity of, of transparency and communication. And guess what? That's your DEI strategy. Your DEI strategy is your talent strategy. We keep separating them and it drives me bonkers. So just a quick question. And I love you guys' thoughts on this as well as the audience. Because, you know, uh, is career framework too freaking formal? Yeah, maybe. Like, I mean, <laughs> is, is, to me it is. Like, how do I just create opportunities for people to explore their curiosities and to leverage who they are within organizations. Like, I think that if I open up an opportunity exchange for people, I think that you're going to get a lot more adoption to that than, hey, have you checked out the career framework, you know, or the career architecture? And while I understand that's how we've always talked about it, and just, you know, you get to work with me or, and that's both a positive and negative, probably, yeah. so you know, like, the buzzwords drive me freaking crazy. Like, I wonder if anyone would know, like, oh, hey, have you checked out our career framework? And maybe you should look no. at that to see if there's anything that might be interesting to you. I, I think for me, it's like, dude, like, I, I don't have time to check out your career framework. Right. I mean, I love yeah. your thoughts on that. That's, that's a very HR term to me that doesn't mm -hmm. sound friendly to an employee. Yeah, career ladders, career, you know, those things are all, I feel like they're just indicative of a, a different time that we're not living in anymore <laughs> in terms of some of that. I, you know, I'm really seeing some interesting things that companies are trying, you know, one company, for example, is, is really creating opportunities for people to explore in the work context, part-time jobs in other parts of the organization while still staying within their existing role, right? You know, the kinds of things that we've talked about for a long time that people haven't been doing them. And I think that that definition of what is career opportunity has got to change, right? And I think the opportunity piece is what we really need to emphasize versus yeah. the frameworks and ladders and bureaucracy, essentially, is what yeah. I hear when I hear those words, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. how work gets done. Sorry, Jason, right. go. No, no, and even Susan just said career. Like, even the concept of career. Yes. You know, like, how about just job? Like, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, I, I don't know if I want a new career, but maybe I want to try something new. Or maybe I want to see if there's something that I can contribute to that's not a new career. Like, I think career, just that context of a career sounds long. It sounds tedious. It's like, hey, this is my career. Um, so how do we make it seem more agile? And I think that, that that's, a, you know, frameworks our models and the model can be agile as long as we market it and communicate it to the employee in a way that it makes sense to them and they understand. And I also think it might get rid of that whole Brian thing that you brought up about managers not being willing to share talent. Like, hey, I'll share talent if I know they're not leaving me necessarily, but they're exploring. You know, but the minute that they have to like switch jobs in order to explore, then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm gonna mm -hmm. poach. Like you're not going anywhere. 
so I think that, you know, and I know that's not the dotted line, excuse me, I know that's not the hard line of org structures that we've had in the past, but I actually don't think that the, the now of work lends itself to that. No, and I think that the, the mindset is, it's outdated, right? So the whole idea of my resources, right? Well, they're not yours in the first place, right? And so the end, you know, one, the people who can, who can do what they want, but two, they, we're all, we all should be here to help the organization achieve what it needs to achieve. And if that means, you know, resources need to be fluid and move across the boundaries that we've created within organizations, so be it. That just makes sense, right? And so let's think about how we can do what's best for the organization, give employees and give, you know, people opportunities and, and get done what we need to get done. So again, thinking about what is the best way to get things done rather than like, my budget, my headcount, my people, my, you know, those sorts of things. It just, it's limiting even in its framework. You know, it, it's, I was just seeing Tanya's comments and remembering some conversations, you know, we've had internally at Leap Gen this week. You know who's really good at this? Startups and scale-ups. They hire unicorns who have lots of skill sets, but they have a lot of hustle and heart too. And then you ask them to do a lot of things like, look, yes, we have to worry a little bit about titles and, you know, that kind of stuff. But like literally be willing to come in and roll up your sleeves and and do whatever the business needs. That's a it's a tricky way, honestly, to hire and to operate a business. But startups and scale ups do this really well. I think when you're a big company, that gets harder to do at scale. But really, we're, all, we're talking about workforce agility. Guess who has to be the most agile? somebody who's running really lean and hot and they're growing really fast. I think we can borrow some, some thinking maybe from, from hey, Jess and Brian, Jess and Brian, don't get mad at me, but I'm going to excuse myself. I, I have to go search <laughs> for the dog before my family goes crazy. Uh, I'm going to drop off, but Jess, I'll let you just finish up. Thank you guys. Good to see everyone. Thanks, and I'll, I'll see you next week. Thanks. Good night. Bye. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting just because I was talking to a friend of mine here, um, spent a lot of time in those kinds of environments, right? In, in startups and scale up and those kinds of things. And for a number of reasons, he's, he's now trying to transition more into a corporate piece. And, you know, a lot of the conversations he has in corporations, they just don't know what to do with him because he doesn't fit in a box, right? He doesn't fit cleanly in like, oh, you're a finance guy or you're an operations guy or whatever, because he's done, you know, all those different things in these very nimble, very agile kind of environments. And corporations don't know what to do with it. You know, and so he's, it's it's so funny to me because he's got great skills in so many different areas. And they're like, yeah, but I don't know a botch. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. I, you know, every time we talk about stuff like this, Brian, it all sounds good. Yes, Tanya, exactly. Startup people know this. Like, there's no, like, well, that's not my job. That's not my department. Those aren't my people. That's like everybody has to be, you know, sort of willing to pitch in and do the work that needs to be accomplished. Back to your first statement, Brian, it's more about asking, how does work get done here? And then what are our resources to get that work done? They're not all people resources. There are other right. ways to fill those needs, exactly. but it's really that mindset um, and way of, of thinking. Um, every time we talk about stuff like this, it's like a big rah-rah conversation. Everybody goes, yes, 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 that's the future. And then the really kind of like remaining question is, but how? How do you get started? Do you have any tips, Brian? Like, here, go do this. Go think this way. Go have this conversation in your organization. Sure. Um, it's not 
going to make me at all popular with leadership teams, but I will tell you what I think, um, what I've seen work in organizations. Um, when the leadership team stops acting like a collection of silos and starts mm -hmm. acting like an integrated team and starting to look more fluidly across boundaries. So mm -hmm. as a leadership team, when we start talking about a business problem, we stop asking, so sales, what can you do? Or, you know, finance, what can you do? Or those kinds of things. And we actually start talking about what do we have as an organization that can be leveraged to solve this problem? And we actually do it. We actually move talent across boundaries. We actually put people in places that they should be temporary or permanently or those kinds of things. It's a very different conversation. And it's extremely uncomfortable. It's very difficult for leadership teams to have because they're used to, this is my silo this is my metric this is what i'm accountable for etc if yeah. you can break the leadership team out of that mindset at that level and actually start to make things happen through that even if it just starts with you know you, you talk about task forces you know that kind of you know structure to start with it's it's the first steps towards that but we yeah. have to start stop trying to solve problems from our functional perspective and start mm -hmm. trying to solve them from an organization perspective. Guess what? We often don't train our leaders that way. And so it takes a really strong set of leaders, you know, whether it's a CEO or whoever it is, to break that mindset, to break that mold and start to push people to be able to think differently. Yeah. So apparently today is analogy day. Here's how <laughs> I think of that. If you told a leader you don't own this silo or this department or this, you know, PL, you own this outcome. And then you give them a box of Legos to play with. That's how I think of Lego. Like maybe because I have kids and a whole cupboard full of Legos. If you <laughs> gave me a box of Legos and told, and you told me to build you an ice castle, I'll build you an ice castle. The box of Legos you gave me, deconstructed, might have been intended to build a spaceship. But if you told me to, to build an ice castle, I'll go, oh, okay, cool. I've got all of this to work with. I'm kind of missing a turret. Is there a turret around here? You know, so I think we, we don't, but we focus, again, back to asking the right questions, build an ice castle, tell a leader what outcome they're responsible for, right. and then give them all the resources across the business, human and not, tools, technology, systems, change. Change is a tool, my friends. Yeah. Then tell them the outcome they're responsible for. I think that's the kind of like nimble thinking and mindset that that we could benefit more from. Yeah. By the way, I mean, I several years ago I stopped looking when I was hiring personally. I stopped looking at skills and started looking at outcomes. What outcomes have people been able to achieve, and what kinds of environments, and you know, those kinds of things. And it's totally changed the way that I hire. You know, and I think that a lot of organizations could benefit from thinking that way because looking at skills and degrees and all those other kinds of things it tells you something but it usually doesn't tell you what it does <laughs> you know and and in a lot of organizations really understanding how people have been able to achieve outcomes and in what kinds of environments even what kinds of economies and those kinds of things can lead yeah. to avoiding a lot of the mistakes that people make from a higher perspective so yeah i, I absolutely agree it's a good framework to be thinking Speaking of framework, Laurel mentions systems thinking. I'm with you, Laurel, I think. I wish I was a better student of systems thinking. I think there's a lot there. Your thoughts, Brian? 
I, I love the concept of systems. They can do things at scale. There's a lot of design that can happen. There's a lot of scaling that can happen when you, when you work from a systems mindset. Thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I think if you're talking about um, complex adaptive systems, I, I, I find a lot of value in that framework and, and a lot of those principles. Um, a lot of our consultants come fundamentally from kind of that mindset um, because so rarely is a problem in an organization single threaded or those kinds of things. And so being able to look at organizations and problems from a complex adaptive systems perspective, I think has a lot of value to it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that we don't really understand how this dynamic affects this dynamic affects this dynamic. And, you know, a lot of times as consultants, that's what we're sorting out in organizations. But I do think that if, if more people can kind of look at things from that mindset, there's a lot of value to it. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, it has been such a pleasure having you as our sure. guest. What kind of dogs do you have? We had a dog theme today. We're going to send Jason all of our amazing mojo. I might actually go join him. What kind of dogs yeah. popped into your office when we started? Well, so I have um, a Labradoodle, and then I have a German Shepherd Siberian Husky mix. So, uh, amazing. They're, yeah, they're uh, dogs. Both interesting dogs. So, yeah. You're a big <laughs> yeah, dog person. The, uh, my, the Shepherd Husky mix is quite the escape artist. So uh, them disappearing is a little more common for us, but they do always come back. <laughs> yes. And thank you, Laurel. We got a reading recommendation, Reculturing. Uh, I love the name of that book. I can imagine all that it might include. I might have to check it out. By the way, if anybody needs a, I don't know if I recommend it or not yet. If we've got any parents or caregivers, this is my reading for this weekend. Girls on the Brink, Helping Daughters Thrive in an Era of Increased Anxiety, Depression, and Social Media. That's also on my mind with a 13, 11, and 10-year-old. Uh, yes, pet the dogs for me, best to you and your fam. Brian, I hope you have an amazing holiday season with Thank your you, family you and an incredible end of year. I know this is the mad rush and the hustle. Everybody's trying to finish up. I love, I mean, we're getting reading recommendations. We should have a book club. We should have like a reading list. We should have a Spotify playlist together. <laughs> I can't believe we haven't done some of these things with our community. Uh, but I know everybody's in a mad hustle to the end of the, the finish line is in sight, you guys. I hope everybody has an incredible year end get the results you need and you want i hope everybody gets their personal fulfillment and everything you had on your personal checklists taken care of yes to the book club and i know we're also frantically trying to get everything in motion for 2023 we get it we're we're doing it here at leap gen too um we're not done with you yet we have just today we have two more meetups this year before we also exit the holidays uh, I'm bringing you Scott Berg for some market insights. That will be so, that'll be really interesting to see what the heck this HR tech work technology space is going to do uh, as we head into 2023. Yes, recipe book. Oh my gosh, we have so much to do together. Uh, so thank you everybody for spending another hour with us. Oh, the other thing I'll mention, LeapGen is doing our annual kickoff event like we do every single, well, third consecutive year. Uh, Fuel, for those of you who know our our kickoff event for the industry, it's January 31st and February 1st. We're opening registration next week. Look for that. Uh, we've got, we're preparing incredible content for that to kick off the year for the entire industry. So lots more to come. And I hope everybody has an amazing Friday. Yes, we will update you. 
when Abby is located. Uh, and thanks everybody for spending another hour with us. Hope everybody has a fantastic week. Thanks, Brian. Bye, everybody.